Welcome to another episode of Real Estate Investing News for Accredited Investors. Check out the video webinar version of this episode on our YouTube channel or visit simplepassivecashflow.com slash investor letter and check out our sister podcast by searching for the Simple Passive Cashflow Podcast on your favorite podcast player. Here we go. It's the November 2022 monthly market update. The year is almost over. Interest rates are being jacked up even more to curb inflation. But what are the other stories coming up? Welcome to another episode of Real Estate Investing News for accredited investors. Check out the video webinar version of this episode on our YouTube channel or visit simplepassivecashflow.com slash investor letter and check out our sister podcast by searching for the Simple Passive Cashflow Podcast on your favorite podcast player. You guys can check them out at simplepassivecashflow.com slash investor letter. You'll find this and all the other monthly reports. We do this every month. If you guys are new to the group, also check out the, I think we've got like a hundred reviews on this thing thus far. My first book, The Journey to Simple Passive Cashflow, teaches all about taxes, investing in deals, infinite banking, a lot of the stuff that I didn't realize was uh, very counterintuitive ways of building wealth that we use for a lot of our clients in the family office group and our investor group. But let's get started here for you folks. And for some of you guys joining live on some of the social media channels, a lot of the Facebook groups and LinkedIn. And those of you guys who are also checking this up on the podcast form can also check these great graphs and visuals we have on each of these articles on the YouTube channel. But first thing coming from John Burns Real Estate Con- consulting is apartments rent don't grow to the sky and i think we all knew that's why we never really underwrite to more than a three percent rent escalator whenever i see that in a deal i know that they're kind of ching or maybe that they need to inflate the perform a little bit and that's what we teach in the syndication e-course as a past investor what are kind of things to be on the lookout for so in this article is saying the rents are set to fall in many areas around the country which is exactly what the fed needs to help get inflation under control. So like a lot of places like we were investing in Phoenix, some of that, those rent growths were like 20% or greater year. And you know, that definitely, that's not sustained. I would say more on like a five to 10 year time horizon. I think Phoenix is more like a two to 3% annual rent growth, or at least that's what you should underwrite so that you under promise over deliver. The combination of recession concerns requests to Return the office, rents that are just too high, and a multi-decade high of new rental supply are all combining to cause rents to soften and potentially decline. And of course, take all these articles with a grain and salt, and I try and interject my commentary on top of this because this is national data here. We always try and look at the emerging markets and within emerging markets, such as like a Dallas or a Phoenix, you've got your sub-markets, maybe a couple dozen sub-markets within one of those major embassies. But what led to this great growth, strong job growth, income growth, household formation, bolster demand in nearly every market, even with those with elevated levels of supply. Move outs to purchase a home are at all times lows and are likely to stay low given the relative affordability of apartments at 6% plus mortgage rates. So what they're saying is a lot of the people who were on the fence to buy houses up until maybe a quarter or two ago, they got the wind the wind knocked out of them with the interest rates exploding on them. Now they cannot afford that much as in terms of monthly 
payments, which is why a lot of those people are moving back to apartment dwelling, nicer ones, of course, but uh, they're taking a step back from home ownership. Rent to income ratios of 20 to 23% are completely normal within ranges and a testament to the strong growth in incomes among new renters that REITs have observed over the last several quarters. So they get, I think what they're saying is people's pay, their salaries are there to support the higher rents. Of course, we always ask like how much more can it be going up? Really, it's not getting to that you know, one third rent to income ratio quite yet. We're still in like that 20% range. Free business online here, they're talking about what were the things put in that, that latest inflation reduction act. It always seems like they come up with one of these things once or twice a year. This one got signed in on August 16, 2022. And the way it normally works with these is they sign it in and then the investors and a lot of the sophisticated investors start picking through it and start to see any carrots or sticks in there. So some of the tax credits and incentives promoting clean energy investment, one of the sole purposes is to incentivize and revitalize domestic manufacturing. And many of its tax credits and incentives are focused on clean energy manufacturing. Now, I don't know how that really impacts any of you listeners out there. Seems obvious that would be that where money would go. Obviously, this is the whole joke about this, right? What the heck does that have to do with Inflation Reduction Act? If anything, that just is more spending, which increases inflation. But anyway, no one like to get political on this show because it is a waste of time, right? We need to figure out as investors what is happening here and how can we react for our own good. So one of the things of this Inflation Reduction Act is the Advanced Energy Project tax credit provision credits up to 30% of the investment in, in property used in a qualified advanced energy project. That one's a kind of a head scratcher on how to really use that one. I'll be honest. One of the significant drawbacks in the Investment Reduction Act is enactment of a corporate minimum book tax. The minimum book tax would be 15% of book income. And lastly, as a condition for being subject to the corporate minimum book tax for a year, the, the applicable corporation must have an average book income of excess of $1 billion over three years prior to the tax year. So it really probably doesn't impact many of our listeners. I don't know if any of you guys make a billion dollars. If not, shoot me an email. Let's get you into some deals or especially some of these benefit deals we have coming up as it's harder to find deals out there. And we've taken a break from the normal value add apartments because it's not the time to be going into those deals with these high interest rates. So I've personally been looking at ways to save taxes, right? It's getting time to be efficient. So to find and seek deals that provide those tax benefits for our investors. So we've got some things coming down the pipe for you guys. If you guys are interested in those details, if you're not part of our investor group, go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash club and get educated and see what's coming down the pipeline there. For multi-housing news, the article headline is the Fed's painful ounce of prevention worth a pound of cure. And obviously what they're talking about is curbing inflation which kind of at 8%. The Fed's funds rate, Feds have increased the cost of doing business across every sector of the economy. This also impacts the U.S. and abroad. The economy this time around is more on secure footing than 2008. Excess, excess of what we saw in residential real estate and construction that drove the economy in places like Phoenix, Vegas, Florida, and California in 2008 are not the norm today. Instead, we're still seeing everything from manufacturing to entertainment and technology and healthcare drive our economy today. And I will also personally add that you don't have these no-doc, these ninja loans that they gave anybody with a pulse to invest. And 
I mind you investors, like the, I think the reason that sets us apart from the average investor out there is that we try to invest in things that cash flow and are backed by equity, even in hard times. And I think at the end of the day, you know, if you go into things that cash flow, you should be a lot better than most or be able to weather a lot longer recession or maybe even depression if that will, um, to be able to come out the other end and hold on to your asset, hold on to your debt service. Whether you do that with cash flow or cash reserves, one of the two or the combination of both. I know I'm going through this very quickly, but these are very simple, yet these concepts are have taken me a long time to realize and really think of and how to strategize my own. The whole balance between trying to grow your money, how much cash reserves do you have on time on on hand? But if you need to invest, like how we are now with inflation at very high levels where you're just losing your money, not doing anything, where can you make it and get a nice little yield, maybe low double digits and yet be very secure in the investment and not have it be a high risk type of move? That is the question, right? That's what we're all asking. I've obviously got my opinions and I will be sharing those, especially with you guys coming on the January retreat on January 13th to the 16th here in Hawaii. Be on the lookout for that. Again, club members, you guys get invites to that. Freddie Mac reports, multifamily investment market index down in the second quarter, decreased nationally in all 25 markets on both a quarterly and annual basis. This is similar to the last article, right? Things couldn't grow at a 8%, 20% rent increase level for very long. And I will point that rents are still going up, but not at that feverish pace as it once was, but it's not really going down yet. That's nice. And I don't really anticipate it going down. And I said this before, if, there's, if I was a gambling man, the one thing I would bet on is rents not really going down for a long period of time. And again, a different source here, they're saying the primary driver between the quarterly decline was higher mortgage rates. And ALN um, also saying the same thing. Quarter three brought an end to coasting on 2021 multifamily demand. Rent growth finally losing steam at, was a major development in the third quarter, but net absorption deserves all the attention has been getting. As mentioned, apartment demand has been poorer all year. At mid-year 2022, net absorption was 75% lower than it was in 2021. So what that means, what absorption is, new units getting filled in a timely manner, like uh, days on market. It's, I would say overall occupancy is pretty high and there is a housing shortage. And especially with people not being able to afford houses, that's where the apartment demand is still pretty strong. For both average asking rents and average effective rent, third quarter growth was the lowest by any quarter since 20. 21 quarter one for a price class perspective average effective gross rent growth was stronger in the quarter for price classes a and b with the other two price classes also seeing larger declines in rent growth so what they're saying again we've talked about this in the past your higher end tenants they call them class a and b here are less impacted and going through less declines than the class C or below cohorts. And that makes a lot of sense because this last pandemic really hurt the low end as opposed to the high end. But I think a lot of it is, and don't get it, don't get it mixed up with these fear mongering headlines. The industry came into a year with a very high average occupancy, very low lease concession availability and double digit 2021 rent growth thanks to the demand explosion from the previous year. And the fact that we had a 
freaking pandemic in 2020, right? The high average occupancy provided upward pressure for rents even as lackluster demand was slowly eating away at surplus occupancy. Very low apartment demand degraded further, even falling into very slight negative territory nationally in the period. But ultimately, lack of household creation and affordability is the cause of this. The fourth quarter is usually the softest for multifamily demand and the largest macroeconomic situation does not prove much reason to expect this year to be an exception. And I would say maybe on 10% of our assets, we are taking a very conservative approach because we're starting to see some of the signs of normally, like we start to see a slowdown in leasing activity We're about Thanksgiving, but we've really started to see that here in October. So we might be reading it into every into a lot, but that's your guys' antidote from what we're seeing across the portfolio. But top five markets from multifamily deliveries, and this is where the pros, the big money, is putting money into building new assets due to long-term fundamental growth. And I, again, as a real estate investor, I think you need to be looking not on a one, two, three-year time horizon, but like a five, ten, twenty-year or more time horizon. Those markets are. Dallas, Houston, Washington, D.C., Miami, and Phoenix. Multi-housing news came up with this great article that I wanted to pull out. Why affordable housing production legs demand? We've always, everything that's built is always class A brand new, right? Some of the reason here, housing aimed at people with low to moderate income is not being replaced at a fast enough pace to meet our demand. Of the nation's 43 million multifamily units, roughly 10% are considered affordable for those whose incomes are less than 80% of the area median. So this is what we've called the missing middle, or I would just call it the lower middle class at workforce. Lurking here about the LICT, L-I-H-T-C, I call it the LICTA LURK program with low income requirements for as part of the building. We try to stay away from this in our investments. It's just a different, little bit different type of a business plan. If you're that kind of investor, you know, knock yourself out, right? You guys, that's your money. But we found that we have more than 10% section eight it gets to be a little bit seedier of a property. Although like the Licta and the Lurk, depending what municipality you're in, it's more, it's nicer pro assets typically is what I'll see. And they'll pay it. If the average rents are like one fifteen hundred, they may require like 20% of the units to rent at 1300. We've got a couple of the buildings like that and they're nicer pro properties. So you don't really attract the seedier tenants, but I really would stay away from that on class B's or worse. They're saying that the missing middle housing is much more problematic. Very low new construction is coming online. One reason is rising construction costs, but all require new projects to be more expensive class A properties. Another factor is regulated. Regulatory barriers, especially in small markets where there are no clear rules when it comes to zoning issues. But also, because we were always looking for land, and we actually just dropped the project in Alabama that we were looking at. Some of the costs were just too high. So there you go. Some of the, that's a real life example of what they're just talking about with rising construction costs. Adams reports that U.S. foreclosure activity continued to increase quarterly nearing pre-pandemic levels. Definitely nothing near what it was in 2000. Eight, I'll probably call it one or less than a tenth of where it was, but it is picking up from the low of 2020, 1% from the previous quarter and up 167% from a year ago. But that number is, yeah, this is a great example of fear mongering right here. They're saying it's up 167% from a year ago. From a year ago, it was pretty much nothing and it is nothing compared to what it 
I would say average it is. Foreclosure activity is reflecting other aspects of the economy as unemployment rates continue to be historically low. The mortgage delinquency rates are lower than it was before the COVID-19 break, outbreak. And this is what the Fed is looking at, or this is a byproduct of unemployment, which is something that the Fed is looking at. The Fed needs to induce a little bit of unemployment. Right now, again, unemployment rates continue to be historically low. So they need to induce more unemployment so that they can get this inflation under it's under control to get it down to, I think, what we're used to under 6%. I think I made a bet last month with Dean from when we do the real estate brothers for the Hawaii investors. I think I said it was going to go up to 10% for a 30-year mortgage and then come back down maybe a year from now or 18 months from now, which is why we're pushing the acquisition strategy a little bit. States that pose the greatest number of foreclosures including California, Florida, Texas, Illinois, New York. And some of that's misleading. Some of those, like California, duh, because they're like a huge state with a big population. So is Florida. I'd like to know more percentage per capita, maybe, or, or per person. I think that's a little bit more accurate than just going after the bigger, bigger states. The last fact here, in fact, nearly three times more homes were repossessed by lenders in the second quarter of 2019 than in the second quarter of 2022. We believe that this may be an indication that borrowers are leveraging their equity and selling their homes rather than risking the loss of their equity in a foreclosure auction. I would agree with that comment. I think right now the foreclosures is really low. I think really all that is that that's basically just shit happens. I don't know if it's really indicative of what's happening in the economy, but it's just sometimes people go through untroubling times personally, or they, they get into a car accident, somebody gets hurt, or somebody just loses their job. I think that's just the exceptions coming from people who just go through tough times in life, and that's always going to be there. They call it the death, despair, destruction, divorce. Or that's what like those wholesalers prey on, right? People, other people's misfortune, which I don't really think is very ethical. I don't know. I'm not going to say it's ethical or not, but it's jacked up if you <laughs> if you think my opinion. And that's always been ticked me off that these guys will go around. They're here to help people solve their problems and buy people's houses for 50 grand where they really could just sell it to a realtor for 90. And um, they say they're doing a good thing. I see it as screwing somebody who isn't the most financially minded or in a stressful, distressed situation. That said, we don't have any problem doing it when it's a rich apartment investor who is just a little clumsy with their money or worse, a second generation, third generation wealth person who doesn't know too much about money and is just looking to get paid quick and sell it at a, at a good price. But maybe I'd say maybe next year, this all continues and interest rates go up and some of these adjusted or adjustable rate mortgages continue to increase the debt service amounts. Maybe some of these apartment investor owners might be more distressed sellers ready to sell, at which case might be we might be get involved in some of those acquisitions. A lot of those people, maybe they just don't have adequate cash reserves to weather that storm. Or some of our cases, like general partners will put in some of our money. And that's why we are here. Because I think I, I will agree with Sam Zell here. He says the U.S. economy is softening, not in a recession. He says we're not in a recession yet. We're in a market softening. Inflation Reduction Act passed in August resulted in a lot of spending and is irresponsible. And the title of the act is misleading. It's going to add on the inflation pressure and not decrease it. Yeah, he's probably right. He's probably right there. Real page. Apartments remain hot, but peak rent growth could be in rearview mirror. 
I would probably agree that they are, these guys are spot on with this. Some of the highest comparison to the 2022 peak in this order, West Palm Beach, Florida, Phoenix, Arizona, Jacksonville, Florida, New York, New York, Fort, Fort Lauderdale, Las Vegas, Memphis, Riverside, California, San Francisco, California, Miami, Florida, all off anywhere from 6 to 2% off of their previous high. Still, if you definitely jump, it jumped, but it's still up overall. So these are the top cities where housing markets are cooling the fastest. So you don't want to be in these markets, I guess, is what they're saying. Or maybe it's just they, these markets really got really hot and... There was just a big delta we were saying on the last slide, but number one, Seattle, then two, Las Vegas, three, San Jose, California, San Diego, Sacramento, Denver, then Phoenix, Oakland, Northport, Florida. I'm by a little biased because I invest in Phoenix. I think Phoenix is on here just because Phoenix was like the hottest market in the whole country. So I think that's what's contributing to their big delta. I still think it's a great place to be, but yeah, like. Seattle, Las Vegas, San Jose, those things really spiked and cooling down now. And this is more for home sales. Has nothing, not talking about rentals. Affordable housing trends report. Affordability has emerged as a primary concern for low income earners living in naturally occurring affordable housing. Apartment asking rent peaked at 16.9% between mid 2021. Uh, and compared to an increase of 2.3% in the average hourly wages over the same period. So people's pay is not going up as their rent is. Financing gaps widen as construction costs soar. We talked about this earlier with construction costs going up. We just finished our Chase Creek construction, 230 units, where I would say we probably got hit the hardest with this with the lumber. I think a year, year and a half ago, lumber budget exploded 3x outside of our control but it is what it is we recovered moved on and got over it substantial progress remains elusive modest increases and we're talking about the affordable housing trends report so this is where a lot of the federally subsidized rental units by program um, from the most to least is the housing choice vouchers then a project or section eight then public housing, and then other. The Joint Center for Housing Studies of Harvard University reporting leading indicator of remodeling activity. So as we know, in 2020, the remodeling took a big peak there. And then maybe because people were stuck at home and their homes were important because that was the only place they could go. But they're saying annual gains in improvement and maintenance expenditures to owner-occupied homes are expected to decline sharply by the middle of next year. So maybe this will help lower some of the raw material costs like the lumber. How rising mortgage rates are pushing people back into the rental market. We talked about that earlier. Here it is in a different format. The tightness, he said, was created by a decade of underbuilding followed by global financial crisis in 2008, which occurred when millennials were coming of age, forming households and creating a surge in housing demand. It'll take a while before you see a substantial improvement in rent affordability, but a supply increase should eventually boost rental vacancy and decrease pressure on rents. But that's not coming anytime soon. And this is why I still believe residential multifamily is still the place to be with this fundamental shortage or more demand than supply. Here, Ropage reports higher income renters pay the biggest rent hikes and are least likely to miss a rent payment. 
That's because the high income earners, or we call them here market rate class A people, have more liquidity, more savings, as opposed to the class C style, where you know, I would probably assume that a lot of those guys have either no savings or maybe a thousand or a couple thousand bucks, which when there is uncertain times or a pandemic, those are the people that kind of need that government assistance first, where it's the wealthier people who have liquidity and savings. And I think that's what's hard right now is there is a lot of liquidity still in the system, which is why with the interest rates being cranked up, you're not seeing the inflation go down the next month or the next quarter, right? That's what's the problem right now. There's a lot of liquidity in the system, which creates a lot of lag and slack from the Fed increasing interest rates and that the unemployment doesn't pop up and doesn't lower inflation right away. There's that lag. Here they're saying the average renter in class A and B units have seen rent increases 14 to 15% since March of 2020, which is maybe it was called that three years ago. So about 5% a year, which is pretty high. Again, that's where we get that two to 3% is what I would normally underwrite where somebody could probably truthfully say it's 5%. I just probably wouldn't use that just to be safe. Unless you're somebody who likes to just promise the moon and not really want to make excuses when you don't hit your targets later. If you're using the right numbers, then it is what it is, right? Things happen. But I think something can be said for fudging those numbers. And then when you don't hit them, well, it's like, yeah, obvious. It wasn't, the rents weren't going to go up 5% every single year. Different story with Class C renters, of course. These are the more workforce housing folks of average weight ranges lower than $62,000 a year, their rents probably went up about 10%. So maybe 3% across the board or 3% per year over the last few years. But that's it. That's the end of this month's report. We will see you guys in December. If you guys haven't joined our club, go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash club. We've got the annual retreat in January 13th to the 16th in Honolulu, Hawaii. You guys have to complete the form there and book an onboarding call so we can get to know you because everybody who comes to our retreat, we've met, we've vetted, we know that they are going to make a great community member there. Not going to be a weirdo in Hawaii. We don't want any weirdos in Hawaii. And it is what it is. It's like we have a private end group. We don't just let anybody in and we especially don't let anybody come to the physical in-person events because it reflects badly on me. Right? It's like people think that I know these people super well. And a lot of people, I would say maybe it was a little bit different than the pandemic. So now that we're out of the pandemic, I would say people who come, I've typically met at least half of the folks out there. But uh, it's always great to uh, associate the face to the name and it gives you guys the opportunity to ask the real questions that you want, right? I'll put it, I'll remind you guys, whoever's coming, what do you guys need? What can I do to help you? Let's talk to your situation, right? Let's not talk about the weather here in Hawaii. That's boring, right? That's not a good use of our time. I can do to help. And that's the, what you guys get when you guys come out to Hawaii here in January. Again, join the club, spopassacashflow.com slash club and uh, enjoy the Thanksgiving holidays. And we will see you guys in December. <laughs>